With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm in this world and they may be Welcome back to 32 Fans. I'm Alex Chester. With me, as always, is Wheels Wienerker. Wheels, how's it rolling? It's rolling great. I feel like here in the 32 fans community, we have a few traditions. Um, what are our traditions, actually? We do 32 fans in 32 days in the summer. That's like our main thing. Yeah, but not even really anymore. <laughs> no, we do that. We, I mean, okay. don't give us no credit. We, we do that. Uh, yeah. We don't do 32 fans, but we talk about 32 teams. Uh, do okay. we have any other traditions? We, we, were like, we like rank stuff at the end of the year. We have 32 fans in April for the NFL draft. Yeah, we do the NFL draft thing. Yeah, we do best of, you know, TV shows and podcasts of the year at the end of December as normal. Yep, yep, yeah, that's something we do every year. And then we do um, best movies of the year two months late. Yeah, two months late with Av, although not only like six weeks late because it really, we we had we made for the first time ever a schedule of like, here's what podcasts we're going to do in February. Yeah. And that really bit us in the butt because we did not know when the Oscars were. We thought it was like February 28th or something or March 10th. Uh, and apparently the Oscars are the week after the Super Bowl. No, I got to say, we're very lucky to have our guest, Avsenetsky, on here because, you know, yeah. when, we, when we started doing this a couple of years ago, I assume he had nothing else to do except, you know, watch movies all day. But now Av is on like six different podcasts. Most prolific man. Move over, Rob. Eight different podcasts? Fourteen? I don't even know. Who could even keep track anymore, honestly? Yeah. So welcome back to 32 Fans, Av. Uh, you and I have started another podcast without Akiva where we do – it's a Curb rewatch. It's called Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. And you have, what, two different movie podcasts right now? Um, well, I have the, the one with your brother and with Will that we do mm-hmm. once a month. Um, and then, 32 movies. Uh, yes, 32 fans movies. I know, Kiva, oh, okay. the, 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 the title makes no sense. Whatever. It is what it is. The title of this podcast makes no sense. It's all fun. Yeah. If somebody has a good title for us, you know, suggest it to us and we'll probably use it because, you know, we don't really put that much thought into things like that. Um, Just call also, 32 movies. Call 32 yeah, movies. That's maybe right. we'll do that. Also, if somebody wants to design a logo for us, our logo is horrible. So, you know, we'll take that as well. Any Anything anyone wants to do for us, we will gladly accept. Um, and yeah, I'm very excited about our new Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. And I do a new a podcast with Zach Brooks and Brendan Fitzpatrick called The Movie Ladder, where we watch a new movie every week that in somehow connects to the movie from the previous week. And it's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah. I was in the middle of listening to that when I interrupted to uh, listen to this. So I don't know what's coming after Groundhog Day yet. Uh, yeah, you'll have to tune in and find out. Yeah. All right. So let's jump right into it. Av, you watched 120 movies in 2019. Is that correct? 
100, you watched 120 2019 releases. Correct. I actually watched one since then, but we're going to not count it because it's not part of the list that I made. Okay. And uh, overall, was this year, how would you rate this year as a, a total year for movies? I thought it was a year that was very top heavy, where meaning that I think that the top 10 to 20 movies of this year are very, very strong, especially the, my top 10. And I would put, up, put those up against the top 10 or 20 from basically any other year in recent memory. Um, but I think that it starts to fall off from there with a you know bigger cliff than I'm used to. And my like 20 to 40 and 40 to 60 are movies that I really don't feel that strongly about, even if I might have enjoyed them. Whereas in previous years, there were years where even into my 40s, 50s, were movies that I thought were very good. All right. Uh, Akiva, where do you want to start? Should we start at the bottom? Yeah, we always start at the worst and move our way up and you know really talk about the top 10. But I, I like to highlight, I've sent us this list, I like to highlight uh, which movies are worth talking about. But I definitely think it's worth starting with the worst movie on his list. Number 120, uh, and that is the film Cats. Yeah, so this is a movie that what I think, think about Cats, is on, was like last on many people's lists for this year. Um, it isn't that often that there's a movie that's this bad that so many people go to see. But yeah, Cats has like taken on somewhat of this like cult following now. It's become like all of a sudden like a new version of The Room where people are going to see it ironically and like yelling things out. And a friend of mine told me that there was a part of the movie that where he saw it where people were like holding up their cell phones together and like singing and dancing together. So it's just become this like fun communal experience for a lot of people. Um, it's just like an absolutely wretched movie. Um, it just like doesn't make any sense. There's no plot. It's just extremely frightening, like just to see these cats that are very off scale and weird looking and have fur in weird places and then don't have whiskers but do have whiskers. And there's just like no, it doesn't look like a lot of thought was put into this movie, which is very surprising given the amount of money that was spent on it, the quality of the talent that was attached to it. It's just like this once in a lifetime horror show that, you know, I think that people like will be studying for years trying to understand why this happened and how it happened. Akiva, are you totally absent here? I'm not totally absent. I I, I didn't know he was done Every speaking. Like I do think there will like be a. First of all, am I totally absent? You're you're not gonna you're not gonna speak five words on this podcast, and you're asking me if I'm totally absent because you okay, didn't see start these movies. Start saying words. Okay. Um. I, I do. Th I wonder if it'll come around. Like actually, Cats was like a B minus movie. It isn't that bad? I wonder if there will ever be like a backlash to it. No, uh, I I, I wouldn't think so. After that. What by the way? What's climax? The second worst movie of the year. Just what's that about? So interestingly, climax is like in the top five for Will for his movies of the year. Um, so this has been like a running joke between us that like oh my god there and was a, there was a, there was a long stretch of this year where my least favorite movie of the year was his favorite movie of the year. But like then our our list got a little bit shuffled. But um, it's this French movie about this group of people that like takes LSD and they go on like a really weird LSD trip and like they are, get locked in this room and like they dance together and it's just very upsetting and disturbing and I guess. That's why Will liked it, but it, I thought. Oh, it was I'm with you, yeah, Chester. It was, it's I'm, a, it I'm, with, I'm on Team Av here. This sounds terrible. Yeah, it, yeah, I thought it was horrible. Sorry, Will from America. Uh, you hated Rocket Man. You have Rocket Man at 112. That's the type of movie you know. The Golden Globes actually gave it love, which is insane. I don't know why they didn't put Adam Sandler in the comedy category for Uncut Gems at the Golden Globes. That would have made sense. He definitely would have at least got a nom. Uh, why was that bad? You thought that was a comedy movie? No. But neither is Rocket Man, and you could put any movie wherever you want. Well, but in, he would have won the award, in, and it would have changed the the narrative. 
By the way, if we can go behind the curtain for a second, Akiva sent off sent us this list of 120 movies. Akiva bolded the ones he wants mm-hmm. to talk about, and he's already ignoring that and discussing yeah, that's all fine. movies that are on. Well, um, we don't we don't expect good organization. Yeah, I, I could talk about these movies. Uh, just pipe down, Alex. You also made a calendar for February and didn't know when, didn't the, Oscars know when the Oscars, was, Oscars so, you know. or that they were in February. How how can you find that information? It's not like you can Google it and find that out easily. Yeah, you just have to like wait till one. You know, you no, just check your I listings that Sunday. You wait yeah, for TV I open up my TV out. guide the week of, and then I find out when the Oscars are. Yeah. So just to correct you, uh, the the categories in the Golden Globes are there's best drama and then there's best comedy or musical. Slash so musical. That's right. why Rocket Man is in the musical category. But anyway, um, so Rocket Man was like kind of like two movies in one. It was like a combination of like a bunch of like music videos that were these like sequences where things, different things play out to the tunes of Elton John's music. And those were like, there were a couple that were okay. Most of them I just found very weird and off-putting. And then there was a biopic element of it, which I just found to be very boring and way too conventional for somebody who is as interesting as Elton John. And like, I went into this movie wanting to understand, kind of similarly to Bohemian Rhapsody of last year, like... Both Freddie Mercury and Elton John are very unique performers with a very specific style. And, like, I wanted to f- understand what it is that made these people tick and made them the way they are. And the movie just, like, didn't even bother to try to address any of that and just, like, attributed all of Elton John's life to, like, he had daddy issues or mommy issues or whatever it was. And it was just, like, so bland and boring. Well, but I thought the same about Bohemian Rhapsody last year, and a lot of people loved it. So I'm glad, at least this time, that there's more consensus that. This yeah, I would say that at least what Bohemian Rhapsody had going for it was like these, oh, the music was good. Yeah, like and just like these big, like high yeah. scale performances that were like very well executed, impressive to see. Whereas Rocket Man was all these just like self contained music videos that I just like didn't really get into that, that much that much into. Uh, one more question. Uh, this one is actually on the list. 109 for movies outside the top 100. Uh, the, there's two big movies, actually. Big time movies that did really well at the box office. Maybe not compared to what they were supposed to. But at 109, The Lion King. 104, Star Wars. Uh, the Rise of Skywalker. I mean, you act. we know that you like every movie that once we get to the 60s or 70s. Listeners who... And these are not tiered on the list you sent me. But listeners who listen every year know that. But once we get to like the 90s, it's like meh, and the bottom 20 are usually actively disliked. Yeah. So you actively dislike The Lion King and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, The Lion King was just more like a complete waste of my time than actively disliking it. Because like, it's just basically a shot-for-shot remake of the original Lion King. Just without any of the heart, without any you know, laughter, anything that, like, connects you to these characters. Um, And a lot of that is just because they're, instead of being animated, they're just, like, these animatronic animals that, like, don't have facial expressions and, like, you just, like, don't connect with them at all. So it's just, like, a really boring waste of time. Uh, Star Wars, I'm more, like, actively disliked, even though I have it higher, um, because I I think it just, like, had more than it brought to the table. Like, no, it had some good action sequences, but I really, really disliked it. Um, It just, I thought, was a, a very horrible ending to a franchise that had shown like it was starting to rebound and then I think the last couple entries in the new Star Wars films have been you know real disappointments and I'm sorry to see that but you know hopefully they could rebound the uh I guess the only other bright side of this is that I took my daughter to see it and she loved it but she also loves every movie she sees so I don't know how much we want to uh reward that yeah she's the opposite of my son who's scared your kid's favorite movie of the year um, her yeah. favorite movie of the year and hides famously hides out. In the yeah, Toy Story Four was her favorite. She really loved it. Yeah, did I yeah, mention yeah, on this same podcast? Here. Same here. The uh, the Good Burger thing with my son. Yeah, I heard that. No, you did not mention. Do you want to? 
Oh, my son a couple weeks ago on a Saturday night, the synagogue was having like a movie night for first and second graders. And the movie they chose in the year 2020 for first and second Wait, graders. Wait, the synagogue was running it, but it was in someone's house, right? I think that's very unclear. Yeah, the synagogue youth was organization wrong. was running it, but it was being hosted okay. by yeah, yeah, yeah. the house. Okay, yeah, yeah, fine. And the movie so that they chose the for first and second graders in 2020 was Keenan and Kel's Good Burger from 1995 or whatever. Yeah, but it was also great when he was trying to tell us what movie it was because he says to Jen and I, he's like, it was a movie about, about two hamburger stores. And we're like, and we had no idea. We said, we're like, what? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, the hamburger store is trying to hurt the other hamburger store by putting it out of business. We had, and then all of a sudden my wife is like, oh, Good Burger, <laughs> um, which I've never seen. Have you guys even seen Good Burger? I have not. All right. Uh, can I propose it for, for the, uh, the movie ladder next week? You can if it has a good connection to the movie that we saw this week. Well, I got to find out what you're seeing, what the next week's episode That's is. That's right. Fin- so let's, let's pause. You'll finish yeah. that episode, and we'll yeah. see if, if Good Burger fits, and then, you know, we'll it, go from it would there. Have con- it would have connected to uh, Groundhog Day, because they both feature an SNL cast member. Yeah, that's, a, that's okay. Yeah. Not the strongest right. connection I could think of, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, I don't think I've ever seen Groundhog Day from start to finish either, and I'm going to duck as people throw things at me. Oh, you should. You should. It's really good. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So, uh, wh- where are we going next on this list? Can we get into the top hundred, please? Yes, we can get into the top hundred. Uh, you know, this movie is one of the last few on my list I have not gotten to. I'm a little upset about it, um, but you hated it, so maybe I shouldn't even bother. '88, uh, the Olympics, Atlanta Olympics bombing movie, Richard Jewell. Tell me a little about that. Yeah. So, I mean, you might enjoy it just because of your fascination and love for the Olympics and anything related to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was just and his love for Clint Eastwood's politics. That's right. That's right. Um, I thought it was just really, really poorly made. Um, Paul Walter Hauser as the lead character, Richard Jewell, is very good in it. And that's probably the only thing I liked about the movie. Um, people might remember him from I, Tanya. He has just kind of this like Coen Brothers-y vibe to him as just like this guy but who can't I, do anything Tanya, right. he was like hilarious. Is he also yeah. very funny in this movie or just He's not funny. It's more just like the sad side. He's like kind of mm-hmm. like an, an older guy who's, you know, down on his luck. He lives with his mom. He doesn't really have anything else going on in his life. And he he gets a job working in security for the Olympics, and he discovers in, during the Olympics that there's a bomb hidden underneath a park bench somewhere and alerts you know, other people and starts clearing the area, and then it goes off. And then for some reason, and I literally say for some reason because the movie never makes this clear, he becomes the primary suspect, and this information is leaked to the media, and like everyone in, in Atlanta is following him around, cameras everywhere, thinking that he's the guy who did this, that like he was like this guy with like a hero fantasy. And when I like I, again, I say like the, in the movie never makes clear why the FBI suspected him, other than like he was kind of a loser, and that was just to me like a humongous flaw. Um, the, the FBI characters are just painted like a so one note in evil. There's also a controversy with Olivia Wilde's character who is shown to sleep with one of the FBI characters played by John Hamm in order to get the information. Apparently, this never happened, never came close to happening. They just made it up for the movie um, about a real person. Um, so, like, there's just, like, a lot of problems with this movie. 
But Avi, you're saying independent of sort of the controversy, yes, which is yes. sort of tied to Eastwood's general sort of late Clint Eastwood's, you know, sort of not always honest treatment of, of the government and media. Independent of all that, you just didn't like it. Correct. Yeah, I just like didn't think it worked very well. I mean, the movie makes a very deliberate choice to show us from the beginning that he's innocent. Like we see the scene in real time where he, you know, discovers the bomb, and then you know the. The 90% of the movie is about whether or not he did it or not. And you're like, well, we know. So, like, you need to then have an interesting angle to kind of show the FBI's perspective. And, like, there's just nothing interesting there. It's kind of almost like Sully, which I like despite that, where they kind of create this fake controversy for, like, investigating the guy who saved hundreds of people on a plane like like a hero and turn him into the bad guy. And here, again, they turn the hero into the bad guy for no good reason. And it's just not ever made clear why that happens. Akiva's still not listening. So, uh, interesting. No, I am listening. By the way, then you put the fire, the fire festival talking, movies. You just sit there quietly for like sixty seconds. Because I'm, adv- I'm. Why can't you speak? Why, why do I have to carry this podcast on my back? Like, I'm yeah, freaking, I don't talk uh, enough on thirty two. That's the biggest issue. Uh, so you had the fire fraud movies uh, of at 7677. I just thought it was funny because I've completely forgotten about them and would never, ever, ever have ranked them. Plus, I don't think they count for my rankings, which were. Um, uh, yeah, I always say they have to be like a real, you know, in the theater, at least like one theater. I'm not sure if those movies were. Right. Uh, and another F movie I have right there, Ford vs. Ferrari, is actually nominated for an Oscar. So yeah, I'm down on Ford for Yeah, Ferrari. I might you have. You couldn't pay me to see I it. might have like overcompensated a little bit in, in my ranking just because it, it's like fine. It's just so generic that I just like didn't care. Um, also, you know. They tell this like underdog sports story where you're supposed to be rooting for the Ford Motor Corporation to win. And it's just like whatever. Uh, yeah, no bigger underdog than the Ford Motor. Yeah, but it's you know, but it's but it's very uh, it's well made, and Christian Bale and Matt Damon are both very good. So I, I probably should have ranked it a little bit higher than I did. The more I think about it, but whatever. Uh, at number sixty nine, you have yesterday. Uh, I have a hot take about yesterday. All right, let's hear it. If ten different filmmakers, if ten different filmmakers made that same movie, this would have been the ninth or tenth best of those ten. Um, meaning they had a. Hall of Fame concept, and they just totally punted it, yeah, and, and made it meh. And that to me is the most was the most frustrating part of seeing the movie because it's like hard to separate the expectations of the premise from the actual movie. Um, and again, here's one where I think I'm being a little bit hard on the movie because of that. Where it was like it was fine, it was like a perfectly decent like music rom com with like a you know good lead and okay love interest. And you know if you put it on like on a Saturday night in your house with your wife and watch it for an hour and forty minutes, you would say okay that was fine. But when it starts out with this like incredible premise of a world where the Beatles don't exist and just like this idea of like where are we going to go from that how would the world be the same how would it be different what's going to happen when he starts introducing the greatest band of all time instead of in the 1960s in a totally different time and place and it just like doesn't even engage with any of that like it, the, the movie doesn't seem interested in its own premise and now the premise was just like totally wasted on this movie and we'll never get to see the good version of it and that's to me what was like so disappointing about it yeah and I like they how should make on your one movie, movie ladder podcast, you sort of said there was a similar issue with sliding doors, in your opinion. Yeah, the same thing. It's like a cool idea, and like you start watching it, and you're like waiting for the movie to like yeah. actually deal with it. And I actually I said on this week that like the the big difference between sliding doors and Groundhog Day is that Groundhog Day, after like 20 minutes, the whole movie becomes about the main character engaging with the premise and trying to figure it out and see how it works and can he escape from it can he can he beat the system somehow and that's what makes it interesting in sliding doors and in yesterday it like the the filmmaker doesn't seem to care that he discovered this amazing premise and like explored it anyway and that's just so frustrating 
Now sliding um, doors. I, 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 I would guess that in 2020, like the over 98% of references to sliding doors are references not to not not to the not to the movie itself, but to sort of just the concept. Yeah, either the concept mean? or actual sliding doors, which is what I found. That when I started, well, yes. tried googling it, I was like, the first twenty results were all for like Lowe's and Home and Home Depot. Sure, actual sliding doors. That's yeah, true. but yeah, when I looked for like I I always like search after I see a movie, I go to like iTunes to see if I could find podcasts that are previously discussed because I like to listen to other people talk about a movie that I just saw and. The first result was a Bill Simmons episode where they talked about like 76 or sliding doors like a few weeks ago. And like the yeah. next 10, again, were like different sliding doors, like, you know, in history and pop culture. And then it was like only further down the list was it like sliding doors starring Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. But it, it, the idea of sliding doors could be brought back the same way, frankly, like the idea of Groundhog Day was sort of brought back in Russian Doll last year on Netflix. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's these are both like ideas that now I think have yeah. been. And so and so it brings us back to our actual topic. Like yesterday, like the concept isn't permanently ruined by this movie, right? It could they could try something like that similarly somewhere else. Yeah, it was just like so like the, doing it specifically with the Beatles. I thought was just like such a good idea. Um, and it's just I I you know I don't think that someone could like literally make that same movie again and just make a better version of it without it just feeling like, didn't we do this already? I mean, yeah, you could certainly explore that idea with a different thing, but it just, the Beatles just seemed like such the perfect pop culture thing to do that with. And, you know, I think it's probably just lost now. Um, yeah. Uh, by the way, the best TV show example of this, do you guys have a guess why, before I tell you the correct answer of a concept that was great, that was just ruined. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Nothing that comes to mind. So I'll I'll have I'll I'll just go to the correct answer. <laughs> the CBS uh, Saturday Night Show Early Edition. It's such a great concept, and it stars Kyle Chandler. The you know the premise. You oh, guys? I love I love Early Edition. I used to watch it yeah. every Saturday. I watched night. it. Because yeah, I think you made me, or you told me to. So I went online and watched it the whole season. Um, it yeah, it is it is such a great premise though. Uh, you know that that he gets the newspaper a day early. It's such a fun premise. Yeah, I like the and show. I wouldn't say it was wasted. very. Yeah, I liked it bad, too, it? but they it it could it could have been like a, like that's a premise of a hit show on CBS that lasts fifteen years, you know, that, that and has spinoffs. Like they they didn't really all the supporting characters were kind of dull to me, and and it, they made it too gritty and and rough. I don't know. Yeah, uh, there for was a CBS show. There especially. was the girl, the blind girl. Um, I Bl- think the she blind was, woman. Yes. Yeah, I don't. Was she in the practice also? I can't remember if that's the same person. I think she might have been. I don't remember. It's been twenty years since I've seen it. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um. Yeah, all right. So, uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, quickly at 61, another movie that should have been much, much, much better. What do you think they messed well, up Well, hold on, there? but I'm actually, I want to ask the opposite question. I'm surprised you have it this high, because from everything, and I yeah. haven't seen it, but everybody's told me that it's a bait and switch, because you think you're going to see a movie about Mr. Rogers, and really you're going to see a movie about Matthew Reese's character, and so I'm surprised you even have it at 61. Yeah, so this, I guess, we're in, like, my section of, my, you know, my 50 to 70 are movies that were, like, fine. Um, and I, th- I thought that Mu- A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood was fine. I co- t- I would say there were parts of the movie I really liked and parts of the movie that I really disliked. Um, a third of the movie is about Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers, and all of that was incredible. And I would have loved to see an entire movie of that, and I wish that's what they gave us because that's what they told us they were giving us, or at least implied they were giving us. Um, unfortunately, two-thirds of the movie is about the guy from The Americans and his father and his daddy issues as he's like writing this profile of Mr. Rogers, and I couldn't care less. Um, and it just it didn't work at all for me. I didn't understand why that was a movie. And you know you you have Tom Hanks, one of the best actors of our lifetimes, playing one of the most like endearing, you know, 
consensus across the board pop culture icons of our lifetimes and you just like totally squandered that by not even bothering to make the movie about that um you know all the things that we saw in last year's morgan neville documentary i thought we were going to get to see like a dramatization of and background and development and see fred rogers yeah. in a in a this you know different universe and different situations and just like really get to get more in touch with that character that so that has touched so many people and instead he's just like a footnote in this movie Yeah, I, I did. Oh, you know, for years or however long it was coming out, I think everyone thought it was the Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers movie. They didn't realize that was a sl- like a side plot. It makes no sense. I agree. You had this home run. It would be like make a Marvel movie or like like you know you make a Batman movie and you have the best Batman, but he's in it for two minutes and it's like not even a superhero movie. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um. All right, that's it for the movies outside the top. Uh, Let's let's go all the way actually, unless there's something you want to talk about in the fifties or forties or thirties. I thought Loose was fine at thirty two. Uh Good Boys was cute at twenty eight. Uh the Joker at twenty six. Most people have like a very hot take. So you putting it at twenty six means you think it was good but not great. Which yeah, is no, no, I'm calling take. an exact decision here. I've did a whole podcast on his thirty two movies feed about the Joker. So go back and find that if you want to listen to that. Let, let's skip to the movies that he really liked. Okay. Can we do that, please? Okay, uh fine. Uh Yes, my favorite movie go, go of the search, year. My number. Go search on any podcast app for Thirty Two Fans movies, or ask any of us. We'll give you the link. And I'll... just search Thirty Two Fans. They when, come when, up when ahead, was your ahead podcast of us. On Joker? They have September, I think of right. Um, it was a September October, right when it came I out. I remember listening. I was listening to it while I was building my sukkah. So there, that's why I remember. There you go. Yeah, I mean, just quickly, I think everyone just completely lost their minds with this movie. People who think it's the best movie of the year, or people who are like saying it's horrible, and anyone who likes it is terrible. It was a good movie. I enjoyed it. Joaquin Phoenix is incredible in it. He delivers an, an amazing performance of the personification of this character. Um, and you know, just because it like it didn't have like so much to say and was like derivative in certain ways, doesn't mean that now that it sucks. Like it had good stuff in it so like i don't really get why people like need to kill this movie and, and it's not the best movie of the year so like calm down the other way um just a quick trivia uh on this um so joaquin phoenix is on sunday will win the best actor for portraying the joker character the same act character that heath ledger won best supporting actor for and they will become the second pair of people to win oscars for playing the same character do you guys know who the other one is didn't we which was this discussed on one of your podcasts? Because I remember this already. It could be. Well, let's see if you remember yeah. it then. No, I don't. <laughs> so the answer is Don Vito Corleone, played by both okay. Robert De Niro and Marlon yeah. Brando. Okay, cool. All right. So let's. You said this movie's top heavy. So let's jump to the top. Uh, let's talk about the movies you loved. Uh, we'll start with one which which I think Akiva and I have already discussed on this podcast a little yeah, bit. I already segued to seventeen. So my my yeah. my, my number one movie of the year is Uncut Gems. Uh, one of my favorite wow. movies of the last decade. I I loved it so much. Uh, I understand why it's not number one for you, but what were your problems with Uncut Gems? And then I'll explain to you And why hold on. Before he tells you what his problems are, can I tell you, I was sitting next to a guy at my Super Bowl party, and this should tell you all you need to know. And he says to me, we met, Uncut Gems mm-hmm. gets mentioned in, some, in passing, and he says, I didn't like it because it was anti-Semitic, and also there was way too much cursing. So <laughs> It was anti-Semitic? What does that even mean? Well, you know the kind of person who's going to say that. Anti-Semitic made by like... I, I know, but uh, if somebody calls I, it anti-Semitic, yeah. I mean, it was you know it was made you know by two person. like you know who they vote for. You like you know what I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. All right, I yeah. still don't even see that though. But okay, I mean, it was because it, it was made by two like yeah, it's insane. It, it was made by two. Way. What do you mean? I think he's great. <laughs> yeah, and the character is a the character's freaking dog wore a yarmulke at his wedding. He's Jewish, <laughs> and the, and the two brothers are are very proud Jews who who directed the movie. Like, there's no. There's no element of the movie that was not made. Akiva, by Jews. has the state of Israel um, ever done anything that wasn't 100 percent correct at any moment in its entire history? 
If you say yes, you're an anti-Semite. So, uh, so yeah. un- I loved Uncut Gems. Uh, do you have any gripes with Uncut Gems? But I think we have to cut them because it's blasphemy. Yeah, I would say my main gripe, my main criticism was that the movie is so centrally focused on Howard, which for most of the movie makes is what ge- is its gives the movie its strength is just like that raw visceral focus on one character kind of just like going through New York without any regard for anyone around him uh, but at the end I felt like that added up to completely neglecting the side characters that is fine for enough of the movie but then those characters start to make like important decisions that shape the way the movie goes and they just like didn't really make sense like I didn't understand why Julia Fox's character I hear what you're saying makes... but any second we're not spending with Adam Sandler's a mistake yeah I mean because he's such gold yeah I, I totally understand what you're saying so like but do yeah. you want to know more about the wife did you want do you want a little bit more about I, the ex-wife because I'm sort of with you I there. wanted more on the wife I wanted, Menzel. I wanted more on Julia I wanted more on Lakeith Stanfield you want more on Julia Fox yeah you wanted more Julia Fox well I wanted more of Julia um, Fox in a lot of ways yeah, but like I hear you. she like when she comes back at the end to him and the brother the brother who these two guys I, I I didn't yeah I mean and I don't know I don't think we're getting into spoilers but I think the the mechanics of exactly what happens in the last scene are also just like not very clear like what 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 happens why do they decide to do that what is their plan now um and like a lot no, of that I think it's clear I don't want to spoil it yeah, so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm trying to be vague on purpose but so like I think that this movie just could sure. have used like one fewer scene of him like being a schmuck making stupid bets and just colored in a lot of those characters a little bit more Uh, interesting. All right, fine. Uh, you know, listen, 17 is not an insult. Um, Booksmart, you know, I, it's one of these movies. Wait, if Booksmart what, are, had are come out gonna, in December, it would probably we, be nominated for Best Picture. Right? Are we going to hear about why you loved it? What? Uncut Gems. Oh, I mean, I've talked about Uncut Gems. I, I just thought, every, I thought every second of the movie, I was on my seat. Like, movies often don't make you care, even if they're well made, as much as, like, uh, you know, the best season of the of Lost or Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad. But here is like, oh, I've only been with this character for an hour and change. But I, you're sweating during the basketball game. You're so nervous. But also it, during it, that game, it's New York. It's gambling. It's Jews. It's it's got Mike Francesa. It was made for Akiva. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I, I it was made for me. I, it was made for me. I, I obviously like my main gripe is not enough Mike Francesa to get him an Oscar nod. Yeah. Mike Francesca at the Oscar. Mike Francesca at the Oscars would have been the true highlight of my whole life. Like if he had gotten a few more scenes and gotten one of those, they used to give him to like some old lady for playing Queen Elizabeth, who was in you know one of those British movies for like seven and a half minutes. If Francesca had gotten that, I think we could all die happy. It would have been incredible. But like yeah. Akiva, I, anyway. or, uh, I think it's fair to say yeah. that if a movie, when you feel like a movie was made like directed at you, you're going to like it more. Like a serious man, for example, was made about sure. like, basically my dad it was about growing up as you know a conservative Jew in St. Louis Park, Minnesota in the 1960s. Yeah, and and one of the kids in the synagogue scene is actually mm-hmm. a kid I know. So you know, obviously, I was going to like that movie more. It was still a good movie, but because I feel like you know sure. I feel connected to it personally. Yeah, and the so, only the only movie Akiva would like more would be a movie about color war at Camp Morasha. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Can't, uh, that's that's yeah, that's true. Way, um, I, I just googled the serious man, yeah, don't and get I, I never even noticed this. Started. But the main Michael Starberg's character, the main character, his name is Larry Gopnik, which is my wife's last name, uh, but with a P in there. So your, your wife's name. Your wife's name is yeah. Larry Gopnik. Anyway. Well, her maiden name, is Larry. Larry Gopnik. Yeah. Yeah. Start calling her Doctor yeah. Larry. Her maiden name is Larry Gopnik. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we do call. Her, that's a good name for her. Um, she won't know who we're talking about if we mention that in the uh, WhatsApps that Chester probably lets her look look at. Um, so, Booksmart at fifteen. I think if that movie comes out in December, uh, maybe it's you know bandied back and forth. There's some controversy about it, you know its level of quality, but I think that probably gets 
uh, an Oscar nod over a Ford versus Ferrari type. What do you think about that? Um, it's possible. I mean, c- these sorts of comedies very frequently get overlooked anyway, even if it had come out later in the year. Um, but it was a movie that I just found absolutely delightful. The two leads, Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Dever, are both great. They have this amazing chemistry, just like one of the best friendships I've seen portrayed in a movie in a long time. Um, and then there's that, I mean, there's that big fight scene in the middle where they get into an argument that was like kind of cliche, but I thought it was really cinematically done the way like it turns off all the other sound in the room and just focuses on them. Um, it was just, I thought a really good portrayal of friendship of just like two people who are looking past at their, you know, the life that is just ending and onto the next life of going to college. It was super bad for girls. Is that a fair way to say? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's basically how it was, it was marketed and it's, yeah. you know, it's a very similar type movie. Um, yeah. and I thought There's some was... absurdities about the plot. Like they go to a high school where no one's allowed to say what college they're going to. And also, yeah. by the way, every single person in that high school, including the dropouts and the losers and the drug addicts are all going right. to Ivy League schools. But exactly. Know. Yeah. It's, <laughs> there was, there was some silly stuff in there. Um, yeah. I thought it was also interesting that like, there's no real antagonist, like the, everything just kind of flows from their own relationship and like the ups and downs of that, which was, you know, well done. Like they didn't, a lot of too many movies, Ford v. Ferrari is a good example of a movie that just has to like create a fake antagonist to add drama where there is none and this movie didn't rely on that and that's to its credit. All right, now let's jump to um, the okay, topic, uh, which is d- Adolf d- Hitler. D- <laughs> No, yeah, no, you could, uh, Chester, you could ask him, you know the rest of the numbers. You could, you could uh, make yourself useful and ask him. I know the, the rest of the numbers. Guy who asks off about the movies. <laughs> so you think I can't count higher than 13? Is that your yes. implication? <laughs> All right, number 13. No, but I'm saying now, like, you know what? I, yeah, there's nothing. Now we're going to talk about every movie, basically. So, yeah, well, okay. So, number 13 is Jojo Rabbit. Uh, give us your take on Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, so Jojo Rabbit was directed by Taika Waititi, uh, who many people might know from Thor Ragnarok. And he's, he's top 10, probably, for me, half Jews, half Maoris. Maybe even top five. Yeah, that's fair. Um, he also directed a, a vampire movie called What We Do in the Shadows a couple of years ago. He has this like this very absurdist comic tendency in his movies, and I think Jojo Rabbit is probably the highest example of that. He plays an imaginary version of Adolf Hitler, who is kind of like either haunting or you know in the dreams of a young boy named Jojo, play, played brilliantly by a young child actor I never heard of before named Roman Griffin Davis. And the kid is it's, it takes place during World War II, and he's in like this like Hitler youth camp type thing. And at the same time, his mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, is hiding a Jewish girl in his attic and Frank style. And hilarity ensues, absurdity ensues, tragedy ensues. Um, it's just like to me struck the perfect tone between showing like the horrors of Nazi Germany in this like ridiculous absurd way um, which I think is like kind of ticked off a bunch of people but I think they just like didn't really understand what was happening and I guess that's fine that's fair yeah the, the kind of person who thinks Uncut Gem is anti-Semitic I'm sure does not like this movie yeah yeah I mean it, it, it treats the Holocaust at times as like this silly thing and I you know kind of the point is that it is this silly thing because it's like the type of thing that a kid would come up with to like oh we're just gonna like murder all the Jewish people in Europe um, because of like some crazy ideology that somebody made up um, and there's just like this really it's like he develops this really touching relationship with Thomas and Mackenzie who plays the young girl and I just found it to be really powerful you know it's a very it's like a vital movie for the time period we're living in I think and it's something that I really recommend everyone should see even if like the topic and the subject matter seems like it might not be up your alley it's I, I think it's really a rewarding experience wasn't the holocaust enough uh, apparently not because they're still making <laughs> movies about it the holocaust sells yeah 
I saw a sign at a Mets game once. All right, let's jump into the top ten. Number ten, a uh, a little mm-hmm. movie by an unknown director called The Irishman. Tell us, uh, what what is The Irishman? The Irishman. So me and you did a podcast. It wasn't long enough. It was, it was not long enough. That's my hot take. It should have been twice as long. Um, the Irishman, Marty Scorsese's 24th feature film, um, a crime epic that shows the rise and fall of Frank Sheeran, a mobster played by Robert De Niro. He's an assassin for the mob during the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, Scorsese brings back the whole gang, Pesci, Pacino, Harvey Keitel. I guess Pacino was never part of the gang, but he's kind of in that world of other mob movies. And it's a it comes off as a reflection by the characters in this movie, especially Robert De Niro's character, of a lifetime spent in the mob, you know, in a life of crime. But it also has this, like, extra meta level of Scorsese and all these people who have spent their life making mob movies about reflecting on what that entails and like the life that they've led making those sorts of movies. And it's very methodical compared to some of his other movies. Like it doesn't have the glamorization of the mob the way that Wolf of Wall Street does, maybe not the mob, but of crime or Goodfellas where like on the way up, it's like exciting and it's sexy and it's a lot of fun. Uh, there's like a scene in the middle of the movie where he's like preparing to go assassinate somebody in a restaurant and it just shows him like very matter of factly like packing his bags and putting the right weapons in. And he just kind of like walks into the restaurant, looks around, shoots the guy and then leaves and like the scene is over. And to me, like that's really like what this whole movie is. It's just like showing it kind of as it is. Um, in fact, that's like probably the most famous line of the movie is when uh, Kyo Pesci tells him it's what it is. Um and I, th- I thought it was really, really good. Um, I know that people are killing it for being too long. I, I don't really... It didn't really bother me, the length. I mean, I often watch things that are as long as this. They just call them TV shows instead of movies, and nobody seems to have a problem with watching a six-hour Netflix show broken up over two nights and where they're watching three hours straight. But Yeah, I guess the, the length is a, is a fake complaint, I think. Yeah, I mean, I thought the, le- the length was fine. I mean, it was, it was long, I agree. But I was never bored when I was watching this movie. I was engaged the whole time. I thought, the well, length on its own is a fake complaint, right? Like, it, movies are allowed to be that long. Yeah. It's just what they did with it. Well, it, so it, he was mad because it doesn't hew to the true story. But, it, it, but it's Frank's version of the story. It's not yeah, saying no, this I, is what I, actually I, happened. Is that why I was mad? Yeah, maybe Akiva, why you were mad? Maybe Akiva like, can tell us why not, he's mad. That's not the only reason I was mad. Okay, okay let, so why else were you mad? Let's hear why no, I just thought it should have ended. I don't, we didn't have to see him in old age. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know. No, I'll, I thought we, I mean, all those things are issues. To, to me, seeing him in old age, reflecting this is a, back this on is an it, entertaining like movie. The, this should not even be an Oscar movie. Yeah. Can I talk about my sort of personal connection in the slightest way to this movie? Yeah, were you a mobster? No, uh, not not that we need to discuss on the podcast. But oh, okay. um, when I, when I when I went to law school, my first semester, I joined a reading group with a uh, with a professor named Jack Goldsmith. So for those who don't know who Jack Goldsmith was, Jack Goldsmith had been the head of the Office of Legal Counsel during the George Bush administration, and there was a very famous sort of dramatic moment where uh, the then Attorney General John Ashcroft was in the hospital. He I think he was like in a coma or something. And there was a memo that that the Office of Legal Counsel was was trying to produce to justify torture that that America that Americans have been participating in in Abu Ghraib, and and there was a whole fight about who John Yoo was supporting it and Jack Goldsmith was against it. And so Jack Goldsmith was sort of this uh, like a, a well known conservative legal scholar, but was also sort of a hero for the fact that he stood up to the Bush administration. He ends up leaving. He ends up going to Harvard Law School, and he ends up writing a book about that experience. And uh, my first, the first thing I did in law school was I read that book, and then I would, you know, sit with him once a week and a, and a few other students, and we discuss it, and we go over to his house. And Jack Goldsmith just gives off this impression of like sort of a very sort of 
traditional southern conservative well you like you think that he grew up like on a plantation or something like his accent and his attitude and everything and that's really who you think he is and and then the shocking thing that i discovered and he just came out with a new book called in hoffa's shadow which is the sort of the true story the actual story of of jimmy hoffa and also of of uh, Frank, basically, the reason that this became so famous right now is because of the movie The Irishman has just come out. So Hoffa has this character um, in in the movie who who is played by um, what's his name? What's that redheaded actor again? I don't Hello? remember. I don't remember who's which guy. We, uh, Carrot Top, no. redheaded actor. What's his name? The guy who plays Chucky. Carrot Top. No, you guys are being annoying. The Chucky the doll. Let's not talk about that guy. I don't know. I don't know the guy's name. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. Everybody knows who Jesse Plemons is. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot. Oh, yeah. 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 He okay, doesn't really. It's like blondish hairs. No, he's got like strawberry. No, he's a redhead. Anyways, the point is, so Jesse Plemons plays his character named Landry. Chucky. I don't know. Plays his character in The Irishman named Chucky O'Brien, who is um, Hoffa's almost like adopted son, basically. And he's the one in the movie, and according to popular opinion and according to the FBI for many decades, who picks up Hoffa and drops him off on the day that he's killed. So the, what's crazy is that Jack Goldsmith is actually the stepson in real life of the real life Chucky O'Brien. Jack Goldsmith, who again I thought of as being brought up as this like genteel, highly educated, sort of elitist kind of guy, actually grew up sort of like very sort of poor and almost like stereotypically what someone would call as white trash. And his family moved around a lot, and he is from a broken home. And at some point, uh, Chucky O'Brien, when Jack Goldsmith is like ten years old, marries Jack Goldsmith's mom and becomes his stepdad. And Jack Goldsmith's name was actually Jack O'Brien for like his entire teenage years going into college. And then, and so he grew up hearing the story of how his stepdad had been sort of set up by the government and blamed falsely for something that he didn't do. And then Jack Goldsmith gets to college and decides he wants to become a lawyer and wants to become a government lawyer. And so he separates himself, he distances himself from his his stepdad, who's you know connected to the mob allegedly, or, or actually was, but. Um, and he and he separates himself and he goes and lives this life and you know he goes high up in, in you know in academia and in the in the Bush administration and then he actually discovers in real life that w- once he joins the Bush administration that a lot of the things that his uneducated mobster uh, stepdad had been telling him 40 50 years ago is actually true about the government not always being honest and about covering things up and about blaming people and breaking the same laws that they accuse others of breaking etc cetera, etc cetera. and so and so Goldsmith has just written this book called In Hoffa's Shadow which is his true investigation into what happened with Chucky e. O'Brien and it's really you should watch it you should read it in tandem with watching The Irishman because it's just this incredible story even if you don't know Goldsmith and it's sort of a shock to see a guy who's from who came from the other side of the tracks and where he is today it's an incredible story of what actually happened with jimmy hoffa and with chucky o'brien and and sort of how the government you know in in their fight against against organized crime which is a a justifiable fight obviously how they often sort of broke the rules and and frankly how the government often uh, breaks and bends its own rules uh, in pursuit of others who who allegedly do the same so yeah well yeah but i so i thought it's an amazing i thought having read the book it then made me appreciate the movie more but it also i understood akiva's annoyance because the movie is not accurate it's frank's version but you know it does you know defame a lot of people such as chucky o'brien who loved jimmy hoffa with all his heart and soul and most people who watch this movie will think oh yeah who's chucky oh yeah he's the guy who drove jimmy hoffa to his death so yeah and the movie is very deliberately framed as being Sheeran's version. I mean, the, the yeah. story starts with him telling the story. It ends with him yeah. telling the story. You know, obviously, that doesn't mean that every time, every second that you're watching the movie, you're aware of that fact. And you know, you know, there's, there's, a, it's reasonable to criticize a movie for play, playing fast and loose with the facts. But 
it's shown to be his version of events, and that's what the movie is. Yeah. All right, so number nine, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Did either of you see this movie? Probably not. It's on my to-do list. Yeah. No, I was on my list. I know it's 824, but I didn't get to it. Yeah. I didn't get to a lot of movies and shows this year. Yeah, so obviously this is one of my favorites. Um, it's a movie that doesn't have like a cohesive narrative like all the all this every step along the way it's really more experiential in ways and it's not a movie that i would necessarily recommend to everyone because it's not for everyone but i was absolutely blown away by it um it's the you know the to the extent there's a plot it's about this guy named jimmy who lives in san francisco and he is taking care of a house that his grandfather built that his family used to live in that he is no longer owned by the family. It was bought by like a rich white couple um, as many of these types of houses in cities like San Francisco have been due, due to globalization and gentrification and other social and cultural forces. And despite the fact that he doesn't live there anymore like the movie starts out basically with these other couple comes home and they find him like painting the shutters on the front porch and they're like what the hell are you doing here and he's like watering the plants in the backyard and he has this notion of home that's very different than like where your literal house is um it's and it becomes like this parable for a home that you no longer feel at home in whether it's the house itself or the city um and it's just this like very powerful moving movie um just like shot gorgeously with an incredible score, some of the best musical moments of the year. And it's a movie that like I think about all the time. It And again, it's not a movie that I think everybody will love. So, you know, maybe turn it on. And if after 30, 40 minutes, it's not doing it for you. It's probably not going to be your thing. But and there are definitely parts of this movie that didn't work for me. But the parts that did were like my favorite scenes of the year. All right, so it's yeah. I have five movies on my to do list still, and this is one of them. Uh, the other four are also higher up on this list, uh, so we'll get to them as well. Let's uh, actually another one on the list is number eight, Knives Out. Akiva, did you see Knives Out? No, it's next on my list. I'm in the middle of 1917, yeah. oh, okay. and Knives Out was next. But so this, this podcast snuck up on so us. So this is the flip side of the Last Black Man in San Francisco. This is the movie that anyone randomly who's asked me, like, "Oh, you know about movies? Should I go see a movie? What movie should I see?" I tell I tell them go see Knives Out. It's the movie that like I would be shocked if anybody I know who saw it came back to me and told me they didn't like it. It's just so much fun. It's a self-contained murder mystery. You don't need to know anything going in. You'll just like have a ton of fun. It's interesting. It take it has good twists. It's funny. Great characters. Great cast. And you'll just have a blast with it. Like I would be. I would literally be shocked if somebody I told this to came back to me and told me I hated that movie. What did you send me to? <laughs> All right, number seven, Marriage Story. Not as fun. No, not as fun. Not as fun. <laughs> marriage is not as fun as murder mysteries. <laughs> so uh, you would rather uh, commit murder uh, or have a family member commit murder than uh, get married? Basically, is what you're saying. I- I'd rather be in the coffin than delivering the eulogy. Yes, exactly. Uh, right. So, marriage okay, story. Have you seen any of these movies? Do you have any takes here? Criticizing me. I've seen most of them. I've seen most of them. Okay, so we'll give us I'm some I'm not takes. criticizing you at all. Give us some takes, Akiva. Well, I was going to give my top ten after I've, after I've done. I was going to give my top ten. I usually do it. Uh, uh, marriage story. See, we've talked about marriage story, I think. I've talked about it on a podcast. Marriage story is a play that's set out as a movie. Um, there's nothing about it that needs to be a movie. This this would have been a great stage Broadway play. I think uh, Adam Driver's great. Uh, the uh, who would we talk? Oh yeah, um, I forget what podcast I mentioned this. Laura Dern is terrible in this movie. I have no idea why she's a lock to win the Oscar. She's such an overactor. I think Simmons said this also. I I totally agree with it's that. It's totally overacting. Any any actress in Hollywood could have done this. It's yeah, absurd. So- 
I have so, no idea. And I like Laura Dern. She's great. Yeah. So I think the answer Did is Did her Laura- and Baron Davis break up? I think she's winning the Oscar I know she was for. Dating Baron Davis she didn't like thank him at her um, at her Golden Globe speech, so I I would guess yes. Yeah, no, I I think they might, I don't think it was like a long term relationship, I, but I, it bad. was a, a random couple. He's so much younger. Yeah, so yeah. I think she's I think she's winning the Oscar for playing Renata on Big Little Eyes. Is I think the answer. Okay, I think people just love Laura Dern and she's in this um, big yeah. movie. Um, yeah, I agree. She totally overacts. If she's like very jarring in this movie where all the other acting is like so subtle and like the characters are so you have like so much empathy for them and I, and I get that that's kind of the point the way that like the legal industrial complex and divorces just like ruins everything and like people who are like inclined to like try to make it work and work together yeah. for the be- you know for everyone's benefit then like they go to see a lawyer and the lawyer wants them to you know murder their ex-husband or ex-wife um, but I just thought she was just really out of place in this movie really overacted I mean you know I'm happy for Laura during the person that she's totally the Oscar but I I didn't see this. I didn't see it yeah. in this movie at all. Um, similarly, Renee Zellweger for Judy. Which By the way, George like, W. Bush. Yes, is a, I haven't you know, seen it. But yeah, people mo- are saying sucks. Yeah, it's it's not a good movie. She's like completely forgettable in it. You know, just somehow this narrative started that she's going to win the Oscar, and then everyone went along with it. And I just like I'm a totally at a loss on that one. Um, but Marriage Story, I thought was really you know I thought the two actors in this movie were probably the best you know combo performance of the year. Just the two of them working off sure. each other. Can I drop a take? Sure. It's your podcast. Um, so you remember they used to say about George W. Bush, Chester's favorite president, um, you know, he's the, he's the guy you'd want to have a beer with. Like, yeah, he's not the smartest guy, but he's like the ultimate you want to have a beer at the bar with him, which is weird. Like, I don't not would not want to have a beer with now. I maybe don't. But like the a, a hypothetical George W. Bush. But like, I don't know. He's is he so fun? Maybe he's got good stories. His dad was the president. Anyway. Uh, the opposite of that is Adam Driver, the last person on earth I'd want to watch a sports. Although game or to be a, fair, or, I thought he was a, pretty good on SNL. Yeah, no, he's a good actor, and like he can be funny. Yeah. But I, I think he is uh, like a brooding, not. By the way, can we make a list of those guys? Life. I think Edward Norton's on that list. Daniel Day Lewis is on not that list. Not a bro. Who else do you have on? That oh list? yeah, and D- Daniel Day Lewis would tell like one story about like a, a like a, a shoelace. He wants Daniel Day yeah. Lewis um, would spend the two would years be- getting into character for having a beer with you, and then you would yeah. just blow him off. <laughs> no, I would yeah. do it, but uh, I don't think yeah, I don't would think be, be the funnest experience. Fair. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, so this is a good list. Yeah, listeners could put this on like uh, Facebook or in the Patreon group or something. Like, yeah. Th- who? Which? Which celebrities would you absolutely? I mean, Kevin Spacey. Um, but that's just somebody no, like, who hates. There's people, and that's basically, you know, I have, yeah, 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 okay, fine. Yeah, I wouldn't want to have a beer with Weinstein uh, listeners either, who would but be I don't think that's the purpose to of this list. A beer with. You're not implying anything bad about Adam Driver. No, okay, fine. Yeah. I, I thought, No, like, no, I'm sure he's a wonderful man. Yeah. I'd be happy if, you know. Yeah, I, I, but yeah, he doesn't, he seem, he doesn't seem like no, the most flexible really. guy. Yeah, he, I think he he very famously oh, does sure. not watch anything that he's ever been in. Like, Yeah, he walked out on Terry Gross because she played a clip. Yeah, there was like a story. He walked out on Terry Gross. There was like yeah. a story at like one of the like finale parties. He like met Shoshana or one of the other characters, and it was like he didn't know who she was because he had never been in a scene with her. <laughs> right, he didn't jump- know. Oh, maybe in like the first season. I'm sure they were in scenes. Before. Yeah, like it was like then the first season or second season. Like he didn't like he had never been in a scene with one of the characters and like introduced himself. They're like, like of course I know who you are. You're like one of the main people in the show. And he's like, oh sorry, I never met you. The star of the show. Yeah. All right, now let's... Yeah, he um, sounds like a cool guy. Uh, Av, uh, n- number six yeah. on your list is Us. Now, I'm a person, I have no interest in horror as a genre, 
but Get Out was my not only my favorite movie of that year, but one of my favorite movies of the decade. So sell me on why I should see Us, um, even if I usually if I liked Get Out, but if I if I have no interest in horror generally speaking. So the reason why you should see Us, even if you don't love horror in general, and it's not because it's not a real horror movie. It's definitely more of a horror movie than Get Out is. Get Out is more of like a social horror. It's, it's different. This is like a at least the first like hour of it is like a straight horror movie. But the reason you should see it is because Jordan Peele is already and is going to be one of the defining filmmakers of our lifetime. He is a guy who has a vision that puts that vision into every frame of his movie and is just that is a rare thing to see in this day and age somebody who has this much command of his filmmaking power and it's a guy who like you don't you shouldn't miss any of his movies he's you know in 10 20 years from now he's going to be an all-time great director and you don't want to think oh well i never saw us because i thought it was gonna be too scary i'm not a horror fan so you should go see it it's it's uh it's absolutely phenomenal it's a movie that i enjoyed the first time i saw it um, I found like the horror part of it to be, you know, gripping, scary, creepy. You know, the score is amazing. It really draws you into the movie. Uh, the movie then veers into more social commentary, which kind of was a little bit muddled for me at first. But like the more I thought about it, the more I read about it, talked about it, it started to crystallize for me. And then when I saw it a second time, I thought it was like an absolute masterpiece and loved it. Um, so I guess it, there's an extent to which that could be like a slight criticism of the movie that like you kind of need it needs to digest a little bit before it completely works for you um the horror mechanics of it also like there are flaws there because like he really focuses more on like abstract themes than like tying together all the loose knots of like how the horror elements work but you know as like a social commentary it's like one of the best movies of the year i mean the the movie opens with a father and daughter at a carnival and he says to her okay we can get a prize from the second level or we can try to go further and get one from the third and it's like that's the whole movie right there in the first sentence of the movie which you would never know the first time you see it but then when you watch it again you're like oh my god that's so smart and also, Lupita Nyong'o, who was not nominated, in my opinion, gives the best acting performance by a man or a woman this year, bar none, not even close. And she should be the best actress winner. She wasn't even nominated. Instead, they're going to give it to Renee Zellweger. I, I, don't, I still don't understand why she's not getting the attention other than the obvious reasons. <laughs> All right. Uh, number five. Let's get to number five. Avengers Endgame. Akiva's favorite movie of the year. Yeah, Avengers Endgame, another one that I talked about at length on 32 Fans Movies, just very yeah. quickly. It is a movie that was the, the movie that I anticipated the most in my lifetime, was like looking forward to for like literally a year from the second Avengers Infinity War ended. And to say that it lived up to the hype is like underselling it. It's like I've never had more fun, more joy as I was in a movie theater. This movie was three hours long and every second of it was incredible. Obviously, the fact that I've seen all the previous movies and like love the franchise and is like was all in on all of that is a big part of that. And like you can't just like walk into this movie and see it, see it, uh, you know, clean. But it's just extremely well made. And given how some of the other, you know, beloved franchises this year ended, like Game of Thrones and Star Wars, it's like it shows that like what they pulled off here is extremely difficult and they just did it like on an absolute A plus level. Um, it's just like tied together so many loose threads from over the years from different movies and just kind of like all culminated in this incredible movie, incredible send off to the characters who are no longer going to be part of the franchise. And it's just like really exciting to see where this the MCU is going to go next after here. 
All right, Akiva has uh, disappeared again for an extended period of time. Uh, let's get to number four on your list. Number I haven't four, disappeared. I haven't seen that movie. I have never, I've never watched yeah. one of those. Number four is a movie that, based on your description and others' descriptions of it, is the number one movie on my list of movies I still want to see, along with Knives Out in 1917. Uh, tell us why. Akiva, did you see Transit? Uh, no, yeah. I decided okay, uh, not to. This great, is a great, great job. Great this job is a great, podcast. This, this is a great podcast. Yeah. All right. Uh, tell us why Transit is so great. Transit is was directed by a German filmmaker named Christian. I Petzl. thought I had a month to see some of these movies, you dopes. Yeah, I hear. I hear. Whoa. Yeah. Next year we'll look at the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we're the dopes for not knowing. I'm gonna buy. No I'm gonna buy Kiva a 2021 calendar. Me. <laughs> uh, Aisha, the Renap on Buzzman, sent me a calendar, but they should have the Oscars on. They should have the Super Bowl and the Oscars on every standard calendar, and it's not there. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Oscars is earlier than usual. They moved it up for some reason. I don't know why. Thank God, because if there was more of this, like, de, you know, debating the horse race when everyone knows who's going to win every single award, it would be even more tiresome. Um, anyway, so Transit was directed by Christian Petzold. He's a German filmmaker who's directed several World War II movies over the last few years. And it is a story about a main character named George who is stuck in transit between locations trying to escape this like mass refugee crisis and the movie is framed as taking place during world war ii except it very quickly becomes clear that it's taking place at some other time because you see there's like modern cars in the streets and like other technology and things that make it clear that you're not in the 1940s and it he kind of just pulls off this incredible magic trick that a dislocates the story from time, but in a way that makes it timeless because it kind of puts you in the shoes of both like refugees of, from post World War II and the refugees of today, and like kind of connecting those two stories to each other. And it's just like done in this like very beautiful magical way that is just like I would say probably the most like essential movie of 2019 of like it's just a story about now and today more so than any movie that I've seen this year. Akiva, did that sell you? Yeah, I want to see it. Again, I, I thought I had a month. I had like 10 more movies to see, and I would have been I would have crushed it. I saw a lot of movies this year, and I just didn't get to uh didn't get to the last few, and now now I'm sad. Alright, we got three more left. Yeah. Um so number three, 1917. Uh I'm literally in the middle of it, how'd so no spoilers. How do you like the first half? Ahead. How do you like the first oh, half? Oh, no, I'm like 12 minutes. <laughs> oh, you're 12 minutes in. Okay. So you know there's a war. I'm 12 minutes in, but I liked it. Yeah, so I'm not a big war movie. Yeah, there's definitely... Yeah, I mean, it's about the year 1917. Yeah, I'm, so I'm not like a huge mm-hmm. war movie person. Like, I don't generally love those types of movies. Um, so this was my favorite war movie that I've ever seen. Um, so maybe that's not saying a lot because I don't like love all of those other ones, but I just found this to be extremely moving, just like very visceral because, you know... For those who aren't aware of what the movie is, it's famously shot at, to look like it's one single continuous shot from beginning to end. Um, so that really just like puts you together with the two soldiers that are the main characters in this movie. Um, there's a lot of scenes where you're just kind of like following them. Like they'll be like walking one in front of the other. And just the way the, the movie is shot, it feels like you're the third person along with them, just like following them on this mission, which is they need to deliver a message to another battalion. And it's this very small mission. It's like almost inconsequential in like the scope of this humongous war. And to me, that just like added so much more of the power to it of just showing 
the horror of war, the futility of war, you know, it's really just like a lot of showing. You don't have like people making these big grandiose speeches about how war is horrible and like talking about life back home and how they they want to get back. But you still feel all of that just by experiencing it along with them. Um, it's just like cinematically the most impressive movie I saw this year. The sound, the picture, everything. You just become completely immersed in this mission and this war and just like feel like you're there with them. And you just like come away thinking like this is like all so stupid that like we continually do this that – People are just like young children are basically sent to their deaths in often for no reason in like pursuit of these like things that we convince ourselves in the urgency of them in the moment that when you reflect on them 100 years later, it's like how many people even know what World War One is about? Most people don't. Yeah. I think I think World War One's most people's perception of World War One is just colored by World War Two. So most yeah. people just in America we assume yeah World War One that was the first time we fought the Nazis the bad guys like the Germans were not we, the bad is guys. Is this like a ringer conversation? Are we sleeping on World War One? No, but just it's actually like if you actually like there were no good guys and bad guys in World War One. Like the Germans were not the bad guys and and the British were not the good guys. It just happens to be that because those it was the same generally the same countries and, and allies in the next war 30 years later where there were clear good guys and bad guys we retroactively sort of glommed those on but world war one was just sort of the, the the last gasps of european imperialism basically yeah in retrospect we everyone else should have been suspicious when the germans kept referring to it as world war one <laughs> yes that's true uh, did you guys ever read encyclopedia brown as kids yeah i read a bunch of those so do you remember there was one about the yeah, sword sure, of, of the first battle of, of um bullhorn or something i can't say that i do so so there's some guy who's selling an original sword that belonged to the Confederate officer from the first battle of the Bighorn or something like that. And the way Encyclopedia Brown discovers that it's not true is, is first of all, in the Confederacy, they didn't call it the Battle of Bighorn, the Bullhorn, they called it something else. But second of all, it, they wouldn't have called it the first during the first. Ah, so, very smart. Yes. If, that, if that type of storyline interests you, I would recommend a, a movie from this year that I thought was like, okay, but not great with Mark Marin called Sword of Trust. It's also about like a, a Confederate memorabilia um there's parts of it that are very good and funny and oh quirky. uh how about a celebrity a celebrity who you would never sorry a celebrity who you'd never want to go to have a beer with mark maron no i disagree <laughs> yeah I sucks think he, yeah, i, I listen to his podcast for two hours a week he because sucks would. he's I such disagree. a baby yeah i like mark maron no yeah yeah but you wouldn't want it. he sucks he's I mean, I used to like his podcast. He he just totally sucks. Yeah, don't agree. All right, okay. The top two movies of the year for Av, I think, finally, are two movies that all three of us have seen. So that's hooray! Good. All right, so everyone should start listening now. Yeah, yeah. they're my three and two. All right, they're okay. my three and two. No, this was a great podcast. Uncut Gems was my one, but that's not reasonable. Right. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was definitely the best movie of the year, but it's my two. And Parasite, what you're about to talk about, is number three for me. All right, so Parasite, number two on the list. Um, can can we do a spoiler? Can I jump straight to my issue with this movie at the end in terms of the narrative? Yeah, it's just make just make sure to put it yeah, in the show notes because I remember yeah, so last year people shut off the podcast if you're. Okay, there's a spoiler, 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 spoiler. Uh, fast forward three minutes if you don't want to hear a spoiler about Parasite. All right. Um, my issue is that, like, so the whole idea of why no one can find him is because nobody knows about, like, the underground bunker, right? The people that own the house don't know about it, supposedly. Yes. No, but nobody knows. Like, nobody can find him anywhere. Yeah, okay, right. Movie, after he commits the, the father, he commits the murder, he goes down there. By the way, he's covered in blood, so there would have been blood trailing all the way down there. But my issue is the people who bought the house, they might not have known about the secret bunker. That's fine. That's totally understandable. However, there would be records. The public, the police, when they're investigating, they would know about it because when the person built the house, he would have had to, like, for regulatory reasons and for approval reasons and for permit reasons, he would have had to get, get permission to build this, especially because he was building so far down and you don't want to go into electrical wires or who knows what else. So, like... There would be somebody when they're looking for the body and they're, when they're looking for the assailant, like, where did he go? They would be able to acquire a blueprint of the house 
it would be in public records somewhere, and it would they would be able to find him. So the fact that he could just hide forever is is impossible to believe. Maybe. Well, so two two points. Number one. Uh, I think to a large extent we're supposed to assume that like the last five, ten mi- minutes of the movie after the murder are fantastical, possibly all in the boy's head. Um, okay. Number two, so, so, you wait, could so argue... Did you catch the father? So you're saying that the whole end of the movie didn't actually happen. I think starting from where the boy starts telling the story about how he's going to like build a company and make money and yeah. go back. I, you know, I think all of that is like a story that he's telling us um, that is not necessarily supposed it's possible. to be also, true. It's possible. Also... For his father to, to, by Morse code, send out not just, like, one word or one sentence, the way people normally do Morse code, but an entire, like, multi-page, like, detailed, nuanced letter describing, like, his life. The fact that he's just doing that in perpetuity on a loop in case his son ever happens to come and look at the light is obviously quite fantastical. And the fact yes. that the family living there wouldn't notice the light blinking is also a little bit Yeah, so I think so the whole, the whole, that, whole, that whole last scene of the movie is supposed to be like, okay, now look, I'll try to do it the right way. Like, you know, yeah. by like going to school and build, you know, building a career and getting money yeah. and eventually we'll be able to be reunited. And like we're supposed to end the thing. But of course, like in real life, like that can't happen because of yeah. the social structures that the entire movie is about. Um, okay, so spoiler over. So go back. Tell people who haven't seen this movie why they should. Yeah, so this is my, you know, it's number two on my list. Um, as many people know, everyone who's listening to this who's vaguely aware of me knows what number one is going to be. Um, but I think that... Cats. Yeah. First and last. Yeah. I th- <laughs> that, that, that would be a twist. Um, <laughs> I think that, like, in an objective way, to the extent that, you know, taste in movies can ever be objective, like, I think Parasite is the best movie of this year, the best movie made this year. Um, it's just, like, so astonishing in what it pulls off um, to just, like do so many different things like be like three or four different genres at a time it's like a comedy at times it's a thriller it's just like this heist movie at, at times and it turns into a uh, a horror movie towards the end it's just like astonishing how like seamlessly it just weaves in between genre um, it's extremely funny it tells the story of this poor family in South Korea and they slowly intertwine their their lives into that of a rich family in, in South Korea uh, by scheming their way in, and it's like it's very much like a story of the haves and the have-nots. But I think what the most the most brilliant thing it does about this is that it doesn't turn the rich people into bad guys. Like they're not evil; they don't do anything really wrong to anyone. They're just oblivious, just like living in their own world, not realizing that there are other people out there who are suffering, who don't have because they do have, and the. By contrast, the poor people in this movie like do a lot of bad things, and you know, obviously, it's out of economic circumstance, and they need to do it to survive in order to feed themselves and to, you know, pull themselves up by the bootstraps. But you know, I think what Bong Joon Ho was like trying to drive into us is that you know, if you set up a society in a certain way where the rules are that everybody should try to grab as much as they can, like what happens in this movie, and specifically what happens at the end of this movie, is inevitable. That like that's where this is going to go. Um, unless you design a fairer system. And it might be that this is a system that works for a certain period of time, but eventually it's not going to. And Keeve, um you have this movie number yeah. three, you said? Yeah, I had Parasite at three. I do think it's great. Um, the ending is tremendous. Uh, the whole thing is really is really so well made. I love the house. That's my main takeaway. Okay. What a cool house. They By the way, I do have one other issue with the movie. Um, so, re-spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Fast forward another three minutes. Um. The, the, so they are all, especially the the son who organizes it, but the whole family is masterful at getting themselves into this family and sneaking and knowing how to like break all the rules and get around and trick them and take advantage. And then the very first night that the family's away, 
they all come and spend the time in the house and they're getting drunk and they're breaking things and they're hanging out and they're sleeping everywhere. Like a family like that with a big, rich, like very fancy technological, like modern house would have cameras. They'd have a camera at the front door. There'd be cameras everywhere. There was It'd a camera imp- at the front door. They saw who it was. She's, and she, no, at but first I'm saying, but there'd be cameras in the house also. There'd be baby monitors. Like, the, the idea that they'd all just come in the house and hang out, it's one thing if the family goes away all the time and over time you know how to work. But, like, it's literally the first night that the family's gone, and they're immediately like, let's risk everything. And while I was watching the movie, I was, I was, I was texting with you, Av, in real time. Yeah. And I said, this is really annoying because I know they're about to get caught. Now, the way they got caught was very surprising to me and, didn't, and was not what I saw coming. But yeah. the fact that they would get caught I thought was, like, too predictable and obvious. And it just didn't make sense that they're so careful about everything in their backstory story and their lies and everything and then they're so sloppy about you know getting drunk yeah. in the house and breaking things like so, the, the first possible chance so i think i think the answer to that and you could take it or leave it is that as soon as they like go get into that house they become the rich people and they become oblivious and carefree and they don't think it through and remind yourself what was the exact thing that the rich family was doing at that time they were camping they were living like poor yeah. people like out in the wilderness so like they switch places so yeah. the, the obliviousness that the rich family lives with now they live with um yeah. And it's just like there's so many just like little things in the movie that I think just like kind of like flip those things. Um, again, I think we're still in spoilers. I don't. I, I didn't even realize this until either the second or third time that I saw this. The the guy who's in the basement we're supposed to understand that he worked in the cell phone store that they're stealing the Wi-Fi from at the beginning or the internet cafe. So there's just like this like parasite relationship going in every direction where like they're trying to live off the rich people, but they're also parasiting if that's a word off the people that are even below them it's just like everybody is screwing everybody yeah now this movie is obviously going to win for best foreign language film at the oscar right yeah that's a lot since it's since it's literally nominated for best picture also yeah it's a lock for foreign language movie it's actually called best international feature now whatever um and it is it he it's probably like the going to be the runner-up most likely for director and picture um, unless there's a surprise but it's, it's both of those are two are two man races at this point between Paris just, just and an inside an inside Oscars question for you it's best international language so an English-speaking movie made in England or Australia or South Africa would not count for that category I don't think so because 1917 was foreign language film always well it was it used no. to be called foreign it language can't be film. English. now they call it international feature but I think the, oh, I think oh, the rule I, I think the rules are still the same like 1917 yeah. was not nominated yeah. for international feature which yeah. obviously well, it would have been if it was movies are made in England so yeah 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 no it's yeah. I, I think the eligibility is still the same it needs to have like a certain percentage of the movie in a foreign language which is why the farewell for example was not eligible for foreign language because too much of the movie is in English. Okay. Now let's get to your number one movie of the year. Again, I will implore listeners, uh, go listen to Ob's 32 Fans Movies podcast episode all about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He goes or, into it in depth. Or one of like 12 other <laughs> yeah. movie, movie but podcasts. But like, I mean, that, I think that might have been the best episode of your podcast. Or like, the I, article I was, he wrote ranking every scene. One of the reasons I was so excited to see this movie, honestly, was to listen to your podcast about it. Oh, thank you. I, th- I thought it was a very good podcast. Thank you. Yeah, um, I, I enjoyed doing and the podcast. It made me like the movie even more than I did when I watched it, so credit for you. Thank you. Um, I also, uh, at some point this summer, wrote up a post of ranking yeah. all this, all the scenes in this movie, which was a ton of fun for me to do. And if you're at all inclined to check that out, you know, check it out. Um, but yeah, so Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, basically takes us into the real life 1969 in Hollywood through the fictional characters of Leonardo DiCaprio's Rick Dalton and Brad Pitt's Cliff Booth. Um, they are set up to be the neighbors of Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, who, spoiler from real life, Sharon Tate was murdered in August of 1969 by the Manson family. And that event is 
looked at by many in the Hollywood community and the American community as like the end of the 60s when like the dark underbelly of you know the hippie movement and the summer of love and all all the things that like kind of people had been only seeing the good of for 10 years all like came home to roost in this like horrifying manner when Sharon Tate and her house guests and her baby inside of her uterus were all murdered on that August night um, so that's like a big part of like the story of Hollywood and like this at least the story that Hollywood tells itself and similarly it's like kind of like maps onto the American story as like the 60s being this end of like good times and rock and roll and fun before like Vietnam really started to escalate and go in a terrible direction and Nixon and Watergate and all the scandals that would kind of make Americans lose faith in its government and in some ways have never recovered um, and to me, what Tarantino does in this movie that I thought was just so brilliant and that I think many people who saw it and didn't really like it, I think still just like don't really understand is that almost every scene in this movie is about the ways in which Hollywood tricks us and by using different devices, whether it's what Al Pacino's character talks about in the film's opening scene about how they're going to use the way that Rick Dalton is going to start to like lose in his duels in the Westerns in order to lower the, the real life actor, Rick Dalton stock as a, a, you know, an actor in, in Hollywood. Um, the way that Cliff Booth is set up as a character in this movie, who is probably a bad guy, a guy who may have murdered his wife on a boat. <laughs> now, obviously the movie leaves that ambiguous because it wants you to be able to think about both directions, but because it's Brad Pitt and because we love Brad Pitt and he's so charming and cool and good looking and just like we have this relationship. There's with no 50-50 here. There's no 50-50, right? You just like him and just assume he didn't do it or hope he didn't do well, it. Well, you also – or you or assume he didn't do it. Or said she had it coming. Yeah, or because Leo believes him that he didn't do it and we love Leo and, you know, his character is a good guy. So, like, you kind of just – you know, you, you look aside and – you know, I think like that idea is like really what Tarantino is trying to explore in this movie. That we have this story that Hollywood has told itself about the end of the '60s and how it's this like these good old days. That like if only we could go back to the good old days in this like fairy tale movie, then everything would be okay. But often nostalgia is bullshit, for lack of a better word. And like we romanticize these times when things were actually worse. It's an idea that I think Alex we talked about recently. The the movie. Um, the Woody Allen movie, um, Midnight, what's it? Uh, Midnight in Paris. That yeah. th- that scene where like he keeps going back to further times, and they're all and there they're reminiscing about the twenties, and he goes to the twenties, and they're reminiscing about the eighteen eighties, and it's this like fundamental human idea that like we think that the time before us was better somehow, and that you know if only we could recapture the magic, it would be better. Uh, but really, like the sixties had like a lot of problematic things about it. You know, you had people like Roman Polanski walking around, you had people like Cliff Booth walking around, and people were just like looking the other way, um, and you know. Again, like there's there's a there's a lot of things in this movie that really try to focus you on that idea, the way that the blurring of the real life and the fake, the you know movies and fiction. Um, I just I thought this movie was just like it blew me away the first time I saw it. I've seen it like six times already. Um, I'll probably keep seeing it again and again. Yeah, I rarely rewatch movies. I've already watched it, and it is an incredible. It's a delight. All right, so Keith, let's hear your top um, ten then. Well, it's not even finished. If someone really cares, they can message me later in the week because I still have a couple movies to see. But I gave my top three, and um, I, mean, I can tell you a few more movies on on the list. But yeah, Gems 1, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 2, Parasite 3. What, what's your movie of the year, Chester? Us? No, I said that Get Out was my movie of the year a couple of years ago. I haven't seen it. Get Out, sorry. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other movie, I, I have Irishman, Joker, Marriage Story, all the other stuff in there. 
Uh, the Peanut Butter Falcon I really liked. I put that in my top ten in Booksmart. Uh, so I have two more spots that... Uh, uh, but, you know, 1917 should take a spot. Uh, it, you know, I like it the first 12 minutes. <laughs> and then I want to see... Uh, I want to see... Wa- I haven't seen Waves. Wa- did you not even see Waves of? I saw it. Uh, it. I thought it was like, okay, the first half is much better than the second half. Um, it like it, mm-hmm. The movie takes a, a turn, the movie, and then just like kind of focuses on different characters after that that I didn't really care mm-hmm. for. But I thought the first half was very good. And what's that movie, Honeyland, that I saw the documentary? You didn't see that, right? I, I did see. So that's the that was my it, number one twenty one. Not literally in terms of ranking. It was. It's a very good documentary. But that's a movie. But that, where would you have put that? Um, very good. I told you to watch that. It's a. It's a. Yeah, it definitely Armenian beekeeping documentary. Yeah, it was very good. Uh, it was for sure for sure being my top thirty, maybe my top twenty. I really liked it a lot. Um, it's one. Okay, of, yeah, definitely one of the best documentaries. So maybe of the that year. lands in mine too. Yeah, and the rare movie that was nominated for both documentary and foreign language film. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and then uh, two more documentaries I want to see. Tell Me Who I Am and Cold Case Hammerskold. Uh, that, Cold Case Hammerskold is right up Chester's alley. Chester, you should watch that or check it out. What's it called? you like the first 10 minutes, watch the movie. If, Cold Case Hammerskold. What's the, what's the guy's name, the UN guy? Hammerskold? Dog Hammerskold. Hammerskold. Dog. Dog Hammerskold? Yeah. Like- yeah, Cold Case Hammerskold. You'll, it's, it, it's up Chester's alley. Watch that. Yeah, I mean, he's the guy who has the, the UN. Um, the UN uh, Plaza, yeah. Plaza named after him. Yeah. Also, there's a park yeah, right, they right near uh, death and they, and they And they find some crazy stuff. Okay. So I did not see that one. I, I, I did guy. see Tell Me Who I Am, and I, 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 I thought it was like a cool idea for a documentary, but it didn't really go anywhere interesting, in my opinion. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, do you have any uh, any crazy Oscar predictions for tomorrow or no? Um, it's hard to because tomorrow. like it it really or seems like everything Sunday. is like every Wait. all the all the big awards seem to be pretty much locked down. The only exception to that is like maybe Parasite has a shot at Best Picture just because of like the the funky Oscar balloting and how that works. So like maybe like on the second or third ballot they'll rise higher than they would. But like 1917 is winning everything, so it'll probably win. Um. Parasite won the SAG Awards, where 1917 was like didn't have any entries, and they won the WGA. So, you know, there's a a little bit of momentum for Parasite, but I think you know most likely this is going to be 1917 winning picture, director, and a bunch of technical awards. And it's it's very funny because they're going to win probably those top awards without any nominations for screenplay and any nominations for any actors, which is very rare. Wow. All right, well, Af, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you can be heard on 32 Fans Movies, uh, talking about the best movies each month and also a sports movie bracket. You can be heard in your movie ladder, where each week you discuss a movie connected to the previous movie. You can be heard with me on Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. Uh, where else can we hear you, Av? Um, I, uh, what does your wife have to say about you having four podcasts now? She, I don't know if she knows exactly what everything that's going on, but she doesn't seem yeah. to really care. Um, I'm waiting for her to just like be like, "What the hell are you doing? Why? What's going on here?" Um, yeah. But I, I mostly do it like you know at nighttime after she goes to sleep. So like, she doesn't really care what I do then. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a vice is for a husband to have. It's certainly not the worst. One, so. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the right answer. Yeah. It's like, oh, you talk to your friends about movies after I go to sleep. Okay, you're yeah, a loser, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, also true. I mean, it might make her uh, question her, her decisions, but... Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. That's her problem. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Keith, do you have anything else to add? 10-second gap. No, I had fun. Av, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure having you. You're very welcome. This is my favorite episode of 32 Fans every year. <laughs> Until the uh, Jet Super Bowl preview episode. That's right. Yeah, but that's not annual. 
or, or it's a 10. All right, talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.